0: Lewis talks about the creation of Narnia, by Narnia, of Peter and Susan, Edmund and Lucy, of Caspian, Reepicheep, Mr. Tumnus, dwarfs and talking animals. He also tells about the end of Narnia. And with the end of Narnia, all the people and creatures of Narnia find themselves in a new Narnia, more real and more beautiful than the now dead original Narnia. And C.S. Lewis, the narrator, says this, it is as hard to explain how this sunlit land was different from the old Narnia as it would be to tell you how the fruits of that country taste. Perhaps you would get some idea if you think of it like this. You may have been in a room in which there was a window that looked out on a lovely bay of the sea or a green valley that wound its way among mountains. And in the wall of that room opposite to the window, there may have been a mirror. And as you turned away from the window, you suddenly caught sight of that sea or valley all over again in the mirror. And the sea in the mirror or the valley in the mirror were, in some sense, just the same as the real ones. But at the same time, the real ones were somehow different, deeper, more wonderful, more like places in a story, a story you have never heard, but very much want to know. The world of the Bible and history is a mirror world. It's a dying world. It does not satisfy, but we catch catch glimpses of a new and better world a world that does satisfy. And these glimpses make us hunger for it. Revelation 21 and 22 give us the clearest glimpses of this new world, the better world. But it is still only a glimpse. Here, as so often in Revelation, John is forced to use something as inadequate as words to describe the indescribable, But even those words give us a pretty amazing picture. Revelation 21 starts with these words, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Heaven and earth simply means all things in Scripture. And God says in verse 5, Behold, I am making all things new. God the Creator is recreating. Sin is man's issue, but it impacts all of creation. Some time ago, our family watched some videos from the BBC Earth series. The one on Africa had pretty stunning photography. You should see it. But it mostly dealt with the animal kingdom. And what you quickly realize is that these animals from bugs to lions and everything in between spend either all their time hunting or on the lookout for hunters when it comes to living things we live in a world of killing and of death romans 8:19 says the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of god a new earth, unscathed by human sin. The lion and the lamb will lie down together. Not just man, but creation will be redeemed. In verse 2, the holy city, the new Jerusalem, comes down out of heaven. We don't have to try to imagine a city that looks like a bride, as John says. The symbolic language of Revelation does require that. But in Galatians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul likens the two covenants to true Jerusalems. The first covenant is a covenant of law, of doing it right to be acceptable to God. The new Jerusalem, the second covenant, is free from law, is based in heaven. She is our mother. She is our home. She is in the presence of God, and is defined by grace. We are citizens of that covenant. Hebrews 12, verse 22, calls the New Jerusalem the city of the living God. And we are, again, citizens of that city. But Ephesians 2, verse 22, says that Christians are being built together into a dwelling place for God. In other words, Christians find their true home in the city of God, and God makes his home In the churches, among Christians. And the two homes, in the words of God used to define the first marriage, two homes become one. And so here in Revelation, you have the bride and the groom entering their new place, the new heaven and the new earth. And now, says God, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying nor pain anymore. Do you long for a time when there will be no more death, mourning, crying, or pain? No more... War, no more AIDS orphans, no single mom wondering how she can feed her kids, no tears of loneliness, no people imprisoned for the love of Christ. I can't wait for the time when, for me, there will be no more hospital visits or funerals, no more cancer, no bad hips or knees, no chronically ill children no arthritis, no dementia, no autism, no sadness, no aging. What causes you pain? What brings tears to your own eyes? God himself says, I'm making all things new. There will be no more pain. And then he says, these words are trustworthy and true. I, God, have said it, And it will happen. We are a profoundly pain-filled congregation. And we are called to care for each other emotionally, relationally, practically. But a time is coming that when that will be no longer necessary, it will come. And there will be no room for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death, to which they have been judged in the end of chapter 20. Then John, the author of Revelation, is taken to a vantage point where he can get a better view. He sees the New Jerusalem with a very radiance of God, like a precious stone. It has a great wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates. On each gate is written a name of the Son of Israel. Now, this is not ethnic. Israel represents the church the people of God through all history and in my sermon on chapter seven I gave some reasons for my being convinced that the church is the new Israel so I won't go over them here but I've included it in the insert in your bulletin for those of you who are interested the city of God has 12 foundations on which were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. It is the apostles' teaching concerning Jesus that is the very foundation of the church, even as it is in our own day. It's not the experience of Jesus, but the teaching about Jesus upon which we stand. The song... Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so is a better song than he lives. You ask me how I know he lives? He lives within my heart. The Bible says it is a better testimony to to the reality of Christ. The city is measured out to be a giant cube, 12,000 stadia, or about 2,200 kilometers per side, this is not a giant cube descending to take a residence on the earth. Again, the symbolic language of Revelation doesn't require that. But it's a cube like the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle or temple. The place set aside for God himself was a cube. But this cube, the city of God, his dwelling place, is 12,000 stadia, 12, the number of God's people, 12 tribes, 12 apostles, um, times 1,000, the number for completeness, stayed high and long and deep. It was a perfect cube for a perfect God. And their foundations were adorned with precious stones. The 12 gates were made of a single pearl each, hence a pearly gates. And the streets were made of gold, transparent as glass. We've seen gold like glass already in Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 15. It lies before the throne of God. So in the city where the saints, the Christians, the church, will walk in the very presence of God. That's what this means. Then John describes or tries to describe the city from the inside. How many of you have been to the Taj Mahal? Anyone? Yeah, two people, three people, two people. Um, Commissioned in 1632, it took 22 years to build. Um, It's magnificent. Um, Built to house the emperor's favorite wife after her death, his funeral, um, funeral building. But the Taj Mahal is a ratty old pub tent compared to this glorious city of God. Here are God himself. Here is the Lamb, Jesus Christ. There's no need of a sun or moon. The Lord and the Lamb give it light. By his light, the nations will walk, and the honor and glory of the nations will be brought into it. Apparently, there are nations in the new heaven and the new earth. Red and yellow, black and white. People of every tribe and language. There is a river flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb, the river of the water of life down Main Street. On each side grows a tree of life, yielding 12 kinds of fruit, giving fruit every month of the year. The fruit of the tree is for the healing of the nations. No cursed thing will ever be in the city because the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. His servants will worship him. They will see his face. His name will be on their foreheads. That is, they will see God and belong to him. There will be no night, and they will reign forever. Now, who is they? We. We who are servants of God will see God, belong to him, serve him forever. This is the future of Peter and Paul. This is the future of Augustine and Martin Luther and Billy Graham. And it's the future of all of you who name Jesus Christ as your savior. Faith becomes sight. You will see God. You will fall down in worship. You receive the hug from him that you have longed for. You will see the face of him who died for you. Blessed are those who wash their robes in the blood of the Lamb, John says. Their robes, the deeds with which they clothe themselves, have been replaced with the deeds, the righteousness of Jesus by virtue of his death. For our deeds are unrighteousness. And these people who have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb, these have access to the tree of life. And the dogs the sorcerer, the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. They have no access to the tree of life. They are forever outside. We don't know a lot about heaven, except what words like this inadequately tell us. And we don't know a lot about hell. It's compared to a lake of fire. It's compared to a place of darkness. But the essence of hell is that it is outside heaven. To be in hell is to not be in the presence of God, to not see his face ever. And that is such an awful reality that it is the equivalent of being physically burned in a lake of fire, or to live forever in darkness. I think we have no idea what it's like to see God face to face without fear, without being overwhelmed. We can see it, as Paul said, through a glass darkly. Imagine looking through a beer bottle. Some Bibles say something like we see it dimly, as in a mirror, You know, the mirror in your bathroom when you step out from the shower, all fogged up. You see shapes. You see glimpses of the hints of seeing God. What we can't really imagine the real thing. And not since Adam and Eve have people had this kind of relationship with God. This is the great reversal of a human condition. After Adam and Eve sinned and stepped out from under God's lordship, History has been tragic and difficult. God has cursed the man and the woman. But now, nothing accursed will be in God's presence. When they sin, they end up hiding from God. God said, no one may see me and live. But now, they see God in all his glory and live. And not only live, but they derive their life from his presence. They were sent out from their home and barred from the tree of life. But now, once again, people have access to the tree of life. When they built a tabernacle for God, a place of worship, the glory glory of God filled it, Exodus, Exodus 40. But people could not enter it because of the glory of God. But now we will stand in the glory of God. So what made the difference? How were we... Barred from God's presence, now invited into God's presence. Who effected the great reversal? Revelation is a revelation of Jesus Christ. He is the Lamb of God. All the work is, he, is his. When he was born, he was nicknamed Emmanuel, which means God with us, God dwelling with us. John said that word, the word dwelt among us in Revelation 21, verse 3. The dwelling place, same word, of God is with man. In Isaiah 44, verse 6, God's word says, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. He says it again in Isaiah 48. But in Revelation 1, verse 17, Jesus says of himself, I am the first and the last. It says the same thing in chapter 22, verse 13. In Revelation 1, verse 8, it is the Lord God who says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. But Jesus also says later, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the A and the Z. Jesus of Nazareth Nazareth, and God the Father are one. This is the one who died. This is the one who gave his life so we wouldn't be destroyed. This is the one whose death paid the price for our sin. This is the one whose resurrection we share. This is the one who entered the real holy of holies and opened the way for us to follow based on his merit, not ours. This is the one who judges sin, who destroys the devil, his demons, and even death itself for us. This is the one who came that people might have life to the full. This is the one who came to bring the living water. This is the one who said of himself, to see me is to see the Father. So it's very simple then. Your future, your eternity inside or outside the city of God, has everything to do with how you relate to Jesus the Christ. There's two ways to handle your sin, two two ways to deal with your sin. You can look to Jesus as your Savior and Lord who died to free you from your sin, or you can bear the punishment for your sin yourself. And remain in eternity outside the city of God. It's your choice. But you better make it soon because he is coming back. and you either be in the city or outside the city. You will be a part of the bride or you will not. So the spirit and the bride say, "Come. And let the one who hears the words of this prophecy say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life. Just confess your sins. Acknowledge that you have not lived your life under God's lordship. Acknowledge your need for a savior. And for all of us who love Jesus, we can hardly wait. A city with God, a city with the Lamb, in expressible joy, no more tears, no death, no pain, forever. C.S. Lewis ended his Chronicles of Narnia with these words. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and so beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has ever read, which goes on forever and ever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Jesus said, I'm coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, you are coming, and we don't know when, but... We thank you that in your holy word you have given us this picture to cling to. You are our hope. Faith becomes sight. We live in this world of death but we taste just a little bit. We taste the world to come and we're hungry. I pray that you would help us to live each day grounded in this reality, living our life on this earth, but with one eye fixed on heaven. The goal to which you have brought us, you will bring us. Help us to live for Christ in this world and help us to live toward Christ in the next We thank you for the gift of eternal life. We thank you for the forgiveness of our sins. In Jesus' holy name, amen and amen.